Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Again, great to be with you today. Uh, I want to thank our worship choir for leading us this morning, uh, being a part of, of our of our time of worship and opening up our our minds and thoughts to, to Christmas this morning. I'm going to get out of everybody's way. There we go. Good. Will that fit? Wow. Nice. Uh, a couple of quick, just quick things I need to let you know. Be sure we're all on the same page about. First is coming up uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and our Christmas Eve services, as we've talked about the last couple of, of weeks, uh, we will have two Christmas Eve services next Sunday. One will be at 10 o'clock, our normal Sunday morning time, and the other one will be at 6 p.m. Both of those services will be the same, so we hope that you will find uh, one of those service times uh, to be here, to be a part of that uh, with your family and maybe your extended family if they're in from out of town. Bring them with you and uh, celebrate a Christmas Eve together uh, next Sunday, either 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. Uh, those will be family services, so there's nothing going on for our kids. The kids are encouraged to, our families are encouraged to worship together uh, next Sunday at both of those services. Uh, the and somebody asked me this last week, and it's important. Uh, if, if you're used to coming to our evening Christmas Eve services and you're worried about coming in the morning, listen, it's going to be the same. It's going to be our carols and candlelight and just a beautiful time, uh, our traditional Christmas Eve service. So uh, we hope that you'll be here uh, 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. next week. Uh, we're also, just so you're aware, beginning to make some plans for the new year. And one of those things that we need to do is uh, get some scheduling done. And so um, if you're interested in signing up to be a part of our communion and coffee prep team, uh, that happens every Sunday morning. You sign up for a month at a time. That sign-up list is in the kitchen. You can check that out. Find Maybe find a buddy and uh, work together. Pick a, pick a month and you can be on that team uh, this year. You can get that get, get signed up for that uh, even today before you leave there in the, in the church kitchen. Well, this year at Christmas time, we've been in a series of lessons we've called The Colors of Christmas. And this has just kind of been a creative way for us to uh, talk about why it's so important that Jesus came. We've been looking at the different colors, and each, each Sunday's been a different color. And today's, um, if you can tell by my sweater, is, let me get this light switch on, is red. And we are celebrating the, the, probably the most famous, most familiar, the most common color of Christmas, the color red. And to kind of help us where we're going today, um, and we've done this the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some music, some Christmas music that I think ties into these colors pretty well. And... Um, a couple weeks ago, we played Elvis, and we sang the Blue Christmas. We talked about some of the green songs last week in Kermit the Frog. Well, today, I want to talk about, I'm not going to play it for you because no one's got this kind of time. Uh, but the song I want to talk about quickly is the 12 Days of Christmas. You know the song. And you're welcome. I'm not going to play it. Now, my very favorite uh, version of the 12 Days of Christmas is from John Denver and the Muppets. Some of you, you a little, little familiarity there. Uh, we play this song, and, and actually this whole album, every year at my house when we decorate the Christmas tree. It's one of our traditions. Um, I found, found the video. I'm not going to show it to you because you don't have four and a half minutes. Uh, that's how long that thing takes. Uh, but you know the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. Everybody's re-recorded it. Um, a lot of people have made parodies of it. Apparently, you could make jokes about The 12 Days of Christmas. Who knew? I'm not going to play any of those for you because my favorites are not appropriate for Sunday morning. But <clears throat> you do get a bonus point. You do get a bonus point today. If you are familiar, on the way out, you let me know. If you're familiar with Bob and Doug McKenzie's version of the 12 Days of Christmas, let me know. Three people laughed, and you know what that means. Okay, um, the 12 Days of Christmas 
is the period in Christian uh, tradition, in, Christ, in Christian, not really theology, but in, in the Christian calendar that marks the span between the birth of Christmas and the coming of the wise men, the Magi. That's what we call, we're, traditionally in, in Christendom, we call the 12 days of Christmas. It begins on December 25th, Christmas Day, and runs through the day we call the Epiphany, which is January 6th, sometimes also called Three Kings Day. Now, see, now you know something you didn't know when you walked in here. The four weeks preceding Christmas, the, the, the period of time we're in now, is called Advent, which begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on, well, this year, in next Sunday, on Christmas Eve. That's called Advent. Advent first, and then the 12 days of Christmas, or the, uh, the, um, the, the Three Kings Day. That, that period happens next, the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas, as you know, it's also a song, a Christmas carol in which the singer brags about all the cool gifts that they receive from their true love during the 12 days of Christmas. And each verse builds on the previous one, serving as a really, really effective way to annoy your family members on road trips this Christmas season. So you're encouraged to do that. I don't think of birds and lords a-leaping as extravagant, but if you were curious, in 2023, if you wanted to give your true love these Christmas gifts, it would set you back $46,729. It is an extravagant gift for your true love. There's something about Christmas and love and presents that seem to go hand in hand. It's love that causes us to give presents. It's love, that's the reason our color today is red. Red is the color of love. But apparently, apparently love is not always the response to Christmas gifts. The San Francisco Chronicle ran a story a couple years ago that in San Rafael, California, two men exchanged Christmas gifts. They were offended by what each other had given them. In the resulting fight, <laughs> each man hit the other over the head with a flower pot. Both were hospitalized. Merry Christmas, huh? And in L.A., 20-year-old Brandy Nicole Mason was also less than pleased with her gift from her mother-in-law. Ladies, be careful. When her now former, <laughs> now former mother-in-law's house burned down, Mason, this Brandy Nicole Mason, was accused of throwing the Molotov cocktail that started the $200,000 blaze. Merry Christmas. Some people just apparently don't like their gift. Apparently, Christmas turns ugly and loveless for some people. But the Christmas color red reminds us of love. And the gospel writer, John, describes a Christmas present. And he gives us the Christmas story. I think this is the best Christmas verse in the entire Bible. One verse tells the entire story of Christmas. One verse actually tells the entire story of the Bible. It's probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. I think it might just be the best. It's John 3.16. You know this verse by heart. I don't have to put it on the screen. It'll be on the screen. I don't have to put it up there. You know this verse. Even if you've never come to church before today, today's your first time, today you accidentally tuned in online today to this service, you've heard this verse before. Can I read it for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is a magnificent Christmas verse. There's something about this verse that speaks to Christmas. Do you see it right there in the text? God gave. 
That's the present. Whoever believes, that's opening the present. It's Christmas in a single verse. Martin Luther said, text beyond all measure. Theologian said, this is everybody's text, I have to agree. St. Augustine wrote, God, God's love, <clears throat> God loves each one of us as if we were the only one that God could love. Can I say that again? Because I kind of goofed that up. God loves each one of us as if we were the only one that God could love. And so when I read this, when I read this verse, I try to wrap my mind around this verse. It puts a smile on my face. I can't help it. It's magnificent. It's powerful. It's the Christmas story in one verse, in a nutshell. Put this on your Christmas card. What does Christmas love look like? If you had to paint a picture, if you had to tell a story, what would it look like? I bet you'd use the color red. I want us to notice a couple things about this verse. First thing I want you to notice, that this verse is not isolated. I, I know it gets isolated in our culture. I'm even isolating it today by, by using this just one verse for, for the whole sermon. I know it gets isolated. We stick it on signs. We hold it up in the end zones at football games. We spray paint it on highway overpasses. Somehow this verse gets minimalized in our culture. But whatever all's going on here with this verse, this verse is not isolated. There's a story around it. If you've read the Gospel of John, you know the story. The story is this very profound encounter between Jesus and this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader, and he's got some questions. There's some things he can't quite figure out. So Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night so he can talk to Jesus. Maybe he comes at night because he doesn't want the other Pharisees to know he's talking to Jesus because the Pharisees were kind of against Jesus. But Nicodemus had some questions. Maybe he, come, maybe he came to Jesus at night because that's the only free time he had. You know how sometimes you lay awake in the middle of the night, that's when your brain works. Maybe that's just the way it worked. I, hey, I got a free minute. I, I can talk to this guy. Now I got, I got a, few, a few minutes to do that. We don't know why. But, Jesus, but Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And in the middle of this conversation, Jesus throws out this big, huge, explosive statement. Jesus says that unless you are born again, you cannot enter God's kingdom. Now, Nicodemus is a smart man. He's well-educated. He's a leader. And so he, he asked the question, unless you're born again, how is that possible? How can a man go back inside of his mother's womb? And Jesus then, from that question, begins to walk Nicodemus through an understanding about spiritual rebirth. It's an amazing story. Go back and read it when you get home. And the thing that you notice, if you read this story, is that as you walk through this story of, uh, of Nicodemus asking this question and Jesus explaining this whole idea, this whole concept of spiritual rebirth, as you hear this story, as you walk through this story, you will begin to hear your own story. Your story starts to show up, starts to come up around verse 16. So whatever's going on here in this conversation, in this question and answer time, in this religious leader man's desire to somehow uncover genuine, authentic relationship with God, whatever is going on here, this verse isn't isolated because your story and my story somehow are intertwined with this story. 
So what does Christmas love look like? Gordon McDonald tells a story. He was out lecturing out in the Boston area many years ago. After his lecture, a woman came up to him and began to have a conversation with him. She said to Gordon McDonald, she goes, I'm a medical doctor here in the United States. I'm originally from Nigeria. Well, Dr. McDonald asked for her name, and she gave him her American name. And he said, no, 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 no. I would like to hear your Nigerian name. And so she gave him this long, multi-syllable name that Gordon McDonald said, I couldn't even begin to try to repeat. So we asked the next question, how did you get your name? What's the story? Because he knew in this culture, there's a story behind a name. How did you get your name? What's the story behind your name? She says, I'll give you the short version of the story. My mother and father were encouraged not to marry. The two families did not like each other. They were enemies. They had been opposite of each other for many years. My, parents did, my mother's parents did not want her to marry my father. My father's parents did not want him to marry my mother. They didn't want them to get married. So the parents, the grandparents, her grandparents, tried everything they could to keep these two young people apart. She says, my parents, though, did get married. Despite their parents' best wishes, they did get married. And out of this marriage, out of this love relationship, I was born. But my grandparents did not want to bless this marriage. The grandparents did not want to bless this family until my mother and father took me and baby, baby her, took me and placed me in the arms of my grandparents. And when the grandparents looked at this precious, sweet little baby girl, their hearts and their hardness began to melt. She spoke her Nigerian name out into the air. McDonald said, I wrote it right here in my Bible. The name meant the child who takes away the anger. Gordon McDonald said it reminded him of another baby. Does it you? The child who takes away the anger. What does Christmas love look like? Here's something else I want you to notice about this verse. This verse is not small. I know it gets reduced. I know it gets quoted and it gets shrunk. But when you study it, you notice that it's not small. This verse is full of God talk. It's full of theology. It's God talking about himself. This verse reminds me of what I like about a good pizza. I like pizza that just overflows with the toppings. I don't want to get ripped off on my pizza. If I come to your house and we're having pizza, do not shortchange me on the pepperoni. Stack that sucker high. I want the sausage and the pepperoni. I want the the thing immersed in cheese. I want the cheese dripping down my arm as I hold the piece of pizza. That's how I like my pizza. Don't rip me off. I want my pizza so full of toppings that I can barely hold it in my hand. Toppings just dripping off the sides, all over my hands. That's this text. That's this text. This text just goes everywhere. There's no place that this text can't go. There's no place that this text is ever inappropriate. It's never tiny. It's never small. Whatever John is trying to say here, he wants us to notice that this is packed. This verse is packed full of God's ingredients. Like these. He says right from the beginning that God acted first. God moved first. Not us. The first couple of words say that, don't they? For God. God did something. 
He took the initiative. He acted first. This wasn't in my mind. This was in God's mind. For God, God acted first. It also says that God loved first, not us. For God so loved. Listen, I can be the nicest guy in the world, but this thought would have never entered my mind. It started with God. It also says that God gave first, not us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his one unique son. All of this shaped by God. Not me, not by you. No other religion, no other philosophy, no other ism, no other ideology, no other worldview says this. Just this one seemingly small, so small you gotta put it on a Christmas card verse, confesses and summarizes the entire heart of God. So whatever John is trying to say, he's saying it with mega, huge, enormous words, words like gave. If you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you would find out that this is not an isolated, this is not a small verse. This word gave appears over and over and over again in God's story. His story and our story somehow coming together. God gave. John uses the word loved. It's an important word in John's gospel. 46 times in the gospel of John, in John's biography of Jesus, 46 times John goes out of his way to say, this is the kind of love I'm talking about. This loving, giving, the one who acts first kind of God. John says he gave, he loved. John says our response is to believe. 98 times John uses the word believe in his gospel. It's one of the words that, that kind of is a lens through his, what, what, everything he's trying to say is seen. It slants everything he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. That this present that God gives us in Jesus Christ has to be opened. It has to be received. You open it by believing. John uses the word life in this verse. He uses it 36 other times in his gospel. Not just any life, but an eternal life, an abundant life, an intimate life. A life that just, like that pizza, just overflows into everything so that we won't perish, so that we won't be separated from God. And all of this, look it up. All of this is for the world. He's not talking about geography. What he's talking about is anything that is in opposition to God. And God does something for that opposition. He gives the gift, the one unique gift from cradle to cross, from incarnation, God putting on skin to crucifixion, God giving up his, son, his life for us. There's something magnificent about this verse. There's something humongous about this one verse. Perfect motive, perfect gift, and I'd love to talk about it at Christmas time. So what does Christmas love look like? In 1990, there was a major, major earthquake in Iran. It's estimated somewhere between 35,000 and 50,000 people died in that earthquake. The United States, as well as many other countries around the world, got involved in helping with the recovery and rescue efforts. We sent dog teams, people teams, uh, uh, disaster teams to Iran to help find the bodies in Iran. There was hopelessness in Iran. 
Two weeks after the earthquake, they were convinced that no one could still possibly be alive underneath all of the rubble. But in one Iranian town, there had been a mother who got caught in her house, and when the earthquake came, she carried her small child in her arms as the rubble pounded down on top of her and buried her and her child. Underneath the rubble, she pulled her child next to her, next to her breast, and she fed that baby. She nursed that baby until she herself died, holding that baby so close to her, hoping that somehow someone would find her child. And they did. Two weeks after that earthquake, that baby was still alive. What does this kind of love look like? That's the kind of love described by John here. It's the kind of love that's difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around. That's the Christmas story in this verse. A gift, no small gift, a huge gift has been given. What does Christmas love look like? Well, whatever John is trying to say, he also wants us to know that this verse is not fragile. You can take it anywhere. This verse will stand on its own. It never wears out. It never rusts out. It never gives out. It never dries out. It's vigorous. It's muscular. It can go anywhere. It's simply the story of God's grace and hopefully our response. In the gospel, in one verse, it's not fragile. It's athletic. There's something about this verse. When when I put it in my mind, it reminds me that the applications are obvious, They're simple. They're daily. There are two primary applications when I read John 3, 16 that I want to live out. The first one is obvious. I want to give this away. I want to give this away. I want to talk to anybody who's interested in talking to me about the love of God. I just want them to know about it. I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be annoying. I don't have to be mean-spirited. I don't have to be up in anybody's face. I don't have to be weird about it. I I just share it. Out of the overflow of my own life, my own experience, as I understand Scripture, I just give it away. I want to give this away. The second application, I think, is even better than that. The second application, sometimes we only think about this in terms of a one-time deal. The second application is to open this present and to keep opening it. It's not something you just do once. We keep opening this present. So often we read this verse and say, yeah, 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 that was my conversion story. Yeah, I, I, that, I did that 20 years ago, 50 years ago when I was a kid. I'm saying there's something, something beyond your own conversion at work in this story, in this verse. If you've never opened this, this gift, then open it today. Come to somehow understand that God, in the person of a baby, entered the world to say, I love you more than you can ever imagine. And then just keep opening that gift because God just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. So what does Christmas love look like? I love the story of the two brothers who farmed together. They'd grown up on the family farm and when they inherited the farm, they decided both decided to keep working the farm and they both lived on the farm They shared the work, they shared the profits. They worked the farm. The young brother was married, had six kids running around the farm. The older brother was single. 
the lifelong gentleman farmer bachelor. And so each one of these brothers, independent of each other, had decided to kind of come with this plan. The younger brother, with all the kids, thought to himself, you know what? My older brother doesn't have a family to help take care of him. He needs more of these prophets than I do. So every night, under the cover of darkness, this younger brother would sneak into his grain bin, fill up a bushel basket full of the grain, and take it and dump it into his brother's grain bin because he needs it more than I do. He doesn't have a family to help take care of him. Well, unbeknownst to the younger brother, the older brother had this, this thought. My little brother has got this family. He's got all these kids. He's got a wife to take care of. He needs more than I do. And so every night under the cover of darkness, this older brother would go to his grain bin and take out a bushel of grain and take it over, walk it across the farm to his brother's grain bin where he would dump it into his younger brother's grain bin because he needed it more. And this went on for years until one night they ran into each other carrying the bushel baskets of grain. They dropped the grain and embraced one another. God just gives and gives and gives and gives. This God that John describes here is head over heels in love with every single person. So what does that look like? What does Christmas love look like? Well, it looks like a manger. And it looks like a cross. It looks like a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and it looks like a man wearing a crown of thorns. It looks like an inn that had no room, and it looks like an empty tomb. It looks like God. And the best present of all is the abounding, unlimited love of God. Let me pray for you. I'll invite our communion team to take their places, please. God, you are a God of love. And because of your love demonstrated for us, because you so loved the world that you gave, we can now understand, experience, live in and dwell in your love. Thank you for the way you love us. We celebrate that now in our time of communion. Amen.